Hi and welcome to another episode of Up Next. Today I'm joined by Farida Sharawi, the youngest Egyptian to reach Mount Everest base camp. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoy this episode. Not many people can say that they're adventurous. Very few can say that they reached Everest base camp. And only one of them is an Egyptian teenager. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my honor to present to you Farida Sharawi. Hi, Farid, and welcome on Up Next. You have no idea how excited I am to have you on. So why don't we dive right into it by you telling us a bit more about yourself. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Ali, so much for the introduction. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I am Farida El Sharawi or El Sharqawi, if uh, Arabic is not anyone's native language. Uh, I'm currently 19 years old, just turned 19 last June. Uh, I am an undergraduate junior student uh, in mass communications, in which I'm very, very passionate about. I study in Malaysia with a dual degree from UK. So that's for my uh, my my very active academic uh, levels. Other than that, I've been what I love sports very much since I was a little girl. Uh, I used to play. Uh, I used to play a lot of sports, but I've only went professionally a bit in basketball. Uh, but then I retired a couple of years ago because of um, I had an injury in my back. But now I'm okay, alhamdulillah. So yeah, alhamdulillah. that's uh, as briefly as it could be. So here's a question that I don't ask a lot of people, because frankly, I can only ask one person. But how did a teenager from Egypt come about to climbing Mount Everest? specifically for 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 Everest it was all from uh, surviving hijab the world's biggest only women close group on Facebook platform I've been working with Manal the founder of surviving hijab Facebook group since I was 16 which uh, speaking of numbers I'm I look I'd be very very young but we actually met uh, in a TEDx event when I was a PR manager at 16 and that's when I started to call her attention a bit so I started moderating um, Facebook uh, Surviving Hijab Facebook group uh, October 2017 and I've been on the team ever since that up until now alhamdulillah Uh, so that's when Surviving Hijab decided to go for such an adventure to share inclusivity tolerance and peace for all hijabi women and for all women who chose to cover up in general. So that's when we started to think about it. Uh, and then thankfully they sponsored me in which it, it comes in a nutshell, it doesn't come much often that you find someone to sponsor you. As far as I know, um, most mountaineers, it's very hard to find a sponsor uh, because it's usually very, very expensive to to climb a mountain or especially when it's Everest. So I was thankful that uh, I've, I've got this opportunity and I've, I've also, I was able to join and be eligible or be able to do that because of my uh, athletic background in which, in which I'm thankful that I've had, that I've kept hustling because I knew at some point of my life that I wanted to do something uh, w- with a, with a huge cost like this, like I didn't know what it is, I I didn't know 
where could I find it? But I knew it, it has to be there. I knew that I had to work hard to to reach something, even if, because that's okay and that's normal if you don't know what you're exactly looking for, but you're hustling because you want to achieve something. So, um, yeah, whenever, whenever I have, as a random teenager, when my friends would gather around and they would want to hang out or do something and I have practice or, or I have work, uh, to do, I've been, I started working when I was very, very young and and something that I've, I'm, I'm very passionate about, whether it's a student activity or voluntarily activities, I'd actually skip my best friend's birthday parties to go practice. (laughs) So, um, I guess it paid off at the very end of the day. I tried to make the balance as much as possible in which I am satisfied with. I didn't skip much of my teenage hanging out with friends, parties or whatever thing. And as on the other side, I didn't let go of uh, whether it's my work in which I'm passionate about or sports in which I love to do and not only a hobby, but I wanted to take to another level. So, um, yeah, I guess this is this is where it kind of comes from. So, you know, you're saying you have an athletic background. You've always wanted to use your athletic background for a bit or something. But were you ever interested in climbing a mountain or did you ever even think of climbing a mountain? Uh, yes, definitely. I started it off with uh, Egypt when I first climbed uh, St. Catherine. And I, I, found some, I found a connection between me and the mountains. I was, I was very connected to nature. I was very connected to um, specifically mountains and running. Uh, I loved the fact uh, that climbing a mountain, it can... It, can exhaust so much energy of you, but then it pays off when you reach. So this is one thing that I liked to do uh, uh, as, as a challenge. It taught me like self-discipline and self-commitment that whether you like it or not, you can't go halfway through and then go back, right? So you have to continue. So I kept challenging myself up to I, 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 I reach whatsoever or wherever, or no matter how high the the mountain is but there's this thing that I found a connection with uh, the mountains and nature so before Everest my highest altitude was 1000 meters only and in a geographical location that does not really affect the oxygen level Um, so when I confirmed that I'm going to climb Everest base camp I had to had a very, very, very intensive training. How was that like? Oh my God. <laughs> okay. The six months before our trip, it was very, very intense. Uh, I barely, I barely socialized with my friends, I would say, but I would, I, um, I was enjoying it anyway. I didn't mind at all. It all paid off. Yeah. Some of, some of them were very supportive and some of them thought I'm, I'm dreaming. And it's not gonna happen. You know, on the topic of that and what people think, right? Uh, so you know, being an Egyptian and just telling people that, like, especially a girl and the hijabi, that like, hey, I'm just climbing a mountain, it's definitely not the easiest thing they can say. And this is definitely something they want to get into. But another thing that you mentioned earlier was how climbing the mountain, you know, even though it's hell all the way up, you're going up thousands and thousands of kilometers, and you can you barely have oxygen. And you know all of that, but you said that when you got up there, it just feels different. 
So how was it like when you saw the base camp and just all of the struggle, everything, it was over? You had reached. How, what was it like? Wow, I cried. <laughs> I cried. I broke down. Like when, because especially during the trip, I was the youngest, obviously. Uh, like the second youngest uh, climber after me was at least 20 something. So yeah, and and most of them are are very well trained in terms that at least they've went to the Himalayas once or they climbed, for example, Kalimanjaro, which is approximately, at least they've seen how hard it can be or might be. But my highest altitude was what, what uh, 1,000, and there was no problem with oxygen. And I was I was hit by the altitude sickness, in which is a bit dangerous. But thank God, uh, Manel, the leader leader of the trek, and the guides held it very well. And hope, thankfully, my body kept uh, uh, keeping up. I, I'd say. Um, so I, I've I've been suffering for like what uh, we had fourteen days or like nine days to climb, nine days. Every day, I thought that I'm not going to continue uh, doing it or we're going to, I'm going to back up at some point or my body is going to give up at some point. So I remember speaking of what did I feel when I arrived. I, that moment, I saw the rock that was written in my first I sat beside it and then I sat down and I kept crying. I couldn't believe oh my God, we all just did it because you would find so many different stories from each climber uh, and they're all very inspiring. So I was like, oh my God, all 40, like it was 100% success rate. And that was very emotional to me. Like no one, alhamdulillah, dropped out. And they actually caught me on camera. I have like videos and, 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 and pictures. Like I was... Manel came and then she started to hug me and then we started crying, both of us. It was very, very intense. Like I had a few moments of, oh my God, I just did it. It's done. No more climbing. Yeah. It's all down from there. Yeah. Yeah. And and we just started hugging each other. And my God, the support that I've had from all these climbers, like I would say I wouldn't be able to to reach the base camp of the highest mountain of the world if if I wasn't supported by Manal or the other climbers. Either it's physical assistance, like carrying my back on their backs, or or emotional uh, insurance, or or mental uh, trying to stabilize my mental health a bit because I was being blown out. So whether it's it's any of these three. It was all because of the support that I've, that we've had from each other. Uh, and I remember very well uh, that this time when I ran out of, out of water and uh, Manel had the last sip and she gave it to me because she knew I, I wouldn't be able to continue if I didn't drink that last sip of water. And it just hits me. Like, what would I do if if she literally didn't sacrifice her life for me anymore? Or, or I didn't have that kind of support. I wouldn't be able to do it. 
So it's only right then we talk about the group they went up with. So you started the climb and the, this entire journey as a part of their online community, Surviving Hijab. And you spoke about it earlier, but why don't you tell us a bit more about it and the founder, Manal Rostum? Okay, so it's, it's when Manal founded the group, I've been very inspiring ever since that. And, and ever since I started wear, wearing hijab, I was just uh, uh, very motivated about the fact, oh, we're not alone. That's what surviving hijab made me feel, impact me. We're not alone. Choosing to cover up is not going to be a limitation for you. And that's exactly why Manal chose to take us and, 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 and climb the base camp of the highest mountain of the world because of this. Not because I chose to cover up. It means I'm being limited of doing anything. Even if it requires you or me climbing a mountain. So, um, yeah, because I used to have these questions of, oh, you're going to climb it. Aren't you going to get a bit hot when you're in a sunny day? Oh, what are you going to do when you're wearing all these layers? And I asked such comments and we all do like we all do i promise so um, that's when i felt that surviving hijab as a community it gives us the hope where no to discrimination no to intolerance against women who wear hijab and she stood up for as long as i can remember uh for the rights the basic rights for women who chose to wear hijab so um, that's why I believed into the community so much that I'm putting all my intuition and passion and love and support into this because I believe into it. it, it it's, it's for a cause that is so beautiful that I didn't mind to risk my life for. You literally were risking your life by the going up a mountain is, I mean, you said you guys had nine days to climb it. You were running out of water. There's barely any oxygen up there. And you hear of the so many unfortunate incidents and accidents where people die or just suffer from extreme uh, injuries. And you can't really do anything, right? If you fall over here on the road or anything, there's going to be like ambulance helicopters, ambulances that are be there in seconds, but you're in the mountain. And once you step foot up there, once you're at the right altitude, it's just you and your mind. Exactly. And it could be as simple as, you know, the world's most dangerous airport is Lukla Airport. It's that plane that we take from the city of Nepal, which is Kathmandu to the Himalayas. It could be just as simple as thinking that you wouldn't mind to risk your life in that flight. Yeah, literally, just one one risk to another. Exactly. So um, I guess it's it's all because of the support. It's all because of of the love that we all had together. Uh, and Manel would come, you know, when we're being left behind, and she would stand still up until we should climb, like a. a what 15 meters or something something that is very short she would stand and wait for us and keep shouting say hey one team you can do it good job i cannot bear i cannot even explain how how it carries the literal meaning of motivating like i feel so down my head is dizzy my body cannot carry me i'm i'm very sick i can barely breathe 
I feel that my, I'm not functioning well. And then she stands there telling you that. And then I was like, oh, I have to do it. I have to reach to that only 50 meters just to just to reach her. So then we can do the high five and then we continue doing so on, so on. So up until we reach there. Now, that's true leadership, you know. And you see leaders, like being the leader is one thing, but then when you're doing it at this altitude, carrying all of that on your back. So whatever you're you're going through, she's also going through it. Exactly. And the rest of the group is going through it. So she has her own problems, but she's stopping and don't forget. And that's definitely what Maiti does, drove, drove all the way to the top. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's, it's all about how caring and, and 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 how strong Manel is and I and I would say and I I, I repeated that in my TEDx talk last uh, last year uh, she saved my life and she is beyond being just my mentor um, she is a very close friend and I would say my second mother wow that's, that's great to hear and you know you just segued right into the next point so not only are you a modern climber, but you're also a TEDx speaker. In one of your TEDx talks, you spoke about bullying, right? And inclusiveness for hijabi girls. So if it's okay with you, can you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, okay, so I hit my first um, my first TEDx talk before I was 18, I guess. Uh, it was in, yeah, in 2018. Yeah, that same year, that same year uh, when I climbed the... The base camp. It was my first TED talk. I discussed about bullying. I was physically bullied at school when I was in seventh grade, um, and I had a quite tough um, experience with that. That continued with me uh, all along high school. I wanted to raise better awareness to. Especially not the bullies. I didn't want to raise the awareness only to the bullies, but especially and specifically to parents, uh, teachers, and school administrators who are responsible and are part of whatever that is happening around. Uh, beforehand, I was before I wear before I started wearing hijab. Actually, one of the reasons why I started wearing hijab is I felt that I needed to do something that I wanted to do rather than anyone rather than anyone telling me what to do or bullying me for doing something or telling me this or that wrong or right. So a result of my bullying, I decided to wear my hijab and at least find a cause that I'm fighting for. Um, so ever since I started to do that, I was also bullied. That why would you wear hijabs where you're so so young? Up until now, I get these comments even from my 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 bloodshed father. Uh, so everyone would say, why would you why would you take it on while you're so young? Uh, or 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 comments that are unlikely happen for me to like. They'd uh, uh, say, why would a blondie like you get your scarf on? And which I find it very annoying and offensive. Why would you think just because I'm blonde, why wouldn't I take my hijab on? How does this make any sense? So actually, uh, especially for hijab, whenever I got bullied of wearing it, I just had more power to keep fighting into standing still and wearing it uh, and sharing as much 
impact as I can that it's not something bad. It's okay. I'm living my life. I'm not being limited. I travel. I roam around. I do adventures. I do whatever I love doing. And it's not an obstacle. And then I hit my second TED Talk. Um, I was mainly discussing my journey in, in Everest. But then I've, I mentioned a bit about my definitely my hijab and how I have been passionate to share this cause all around, whether it's only for one individual that can be impacted or a very small community. I, this is not what I'm, I want to do. It's just doing something for a cause. And my hijab is something that I stand still and speak it out loud. And I guess uh, it comes from uh, the push and the power that surviving hijab gives me all the time. And, you know, it's great to see someone, especially from the youth community, someone that has experience building, come out and speak about it. Because especially in our region, especially in Egypt, no one talks about it. They think that it's just a part of a child growing up. They don't realize the impacts that it could have on your mental health. And then the worst part is that a lot of people barely acknowledge that mental health is a problem. Right. So it's great to see someone speak out about it. And, you know, usually after you mentioned all of this, I would ask, okay, how will you tell others or someone else that is facing something like this to stand up for themselves or get over such comments and deal with it? But, you know, let's change it up a bit. So take it back a few years to an even younger Farida because you're still young, right? You're talking to your younger self that is going through all of this. What would you tell her? I would definitely tell her, speak up. Many of those who get bullied, they don't speak up about what they go through because they think no one is going to listen to them or no one is going to help them. And that's where we should take part into raising awareness that whenever someone reached out to you and they need help because they're being bullied, it takes only one individual to take an action. It takes one individual to change someone's life. So I would tell my younger self, please don't keep it in. Please speak it up. It's okay. It's fine. Um, you're not alone. So because this is where I drained myself to or from uh, verbal bullying and up until the physical bullying because I, I couldn't speak up. I was too weak to tell anyone about what I'm going through. So if, if, there's, anyone that I, if there's anyone out there that they're being bullied, this is what I would definitely tell them. Don't or try to get out of the bubble that you're inside. Don't don't be alone into it. At least one person, one person that you would go and speak and tell what you're going through with, because it becomes very toxic on ourselves when we don't speak up and we keep draining ourselves into it, maybe up until it becomes traumatic. So uh, to prevent at least this is what I needed to do to prevent this from happening. Please go home, speak to one of your parents or one of your best friends or a teacher, whoever that you're comfortable with, just go and tell them. If they ignored you, it's fine. Go tell another one. I know how hard it can be. Like I had denial because I saw my own teachers, how they witnessed my bullying, whether it's verbal or cyber, or even my physical bullying, it was witnessed by the teachers and no one did anything. So I was so shocked. If the one who saw the incident do, didn't do anything about it, 
how how is it going to be if I reached out to someone and then said what I went through? They're not going to believe me or they're going to underestimate how I feel about it. So, yeah, that's what I would say because it gets very intense, very, very intense, and it reflects into our behavior or whoever who get, who's, who's getting bullied's behavior. I obviously uh, started to be very aggressive, and I had uh, such a... I, it's, it's, I can only say it was a very aggressive attitude all the time just because I thought, okay, if adults or teachers or parents, uh, in which they're not mine, I, I did not tell any of my parents up until I had my, my back. Oh, actually, my, my back injury that made me retire from basketball was because of my physical boy. So it was wow. a bit crazy for me. So that's the only time when my parents and knew no one anything knew about this when all this was happening before no one knew anything. No, I even went home and I told my parents I was playing and then I fell. I didn't tell them anything. And how did people around you like be coaches, teachers? How can they just see this and how can they even sleep at night knowing that they saw something like this and didn't move? That's exactly what I really, really wanted to share uh, awareness about because uh, believe it or not. Uh, my classmates at that time, it was 2013 or something, they reported to the school administration that I have mental issues and they suspended me for three months internally because they thought it was written like just like that because I screamed without any uh, background or reason so they didn't know I was screaming. I was screaming because the, I was obviously bullied. I ha- my back got torn. <laughs> so they said that they're suspending me three months eternally because I was screaming with no reason. So just to get this straight, people pushed you, or I'm not sure how the incident happened, but then you ended up getting your back injured and you screamed and you got suspended for streaming. Yes, because this is what my classmates... Uh, I wish people could see my face right now. <laughs> wow. By the way, they still they're still out there. My bullies are still out there and they m- might probably listen to that um uh, podcast and they probably continue bullying me in the comments. Honestly, okay, so the, the I I give you the platform right now. Okay, you have the mic. This is virtual. There's no actual mic. But let's say they're listening right now. What do you want to tell them? Whatever language you want to use, whatever. I would tell them I did it. All the time you doubted that I wouldn't be able to do it. All the time you thought, you didn't think. You assured me that I'm going to fail and I'm not going to do anything in my life, even if it's the sport that I love doing. I'd just say, I did it. I'm here. I'm strong. I got over it to a point where I'm putting all my power to share awareness, people not to become like you or even do what you did. Uh, for, for whoever who's still listening and think that I'm that person, bad person <laughs> that you thought of when we were back uh, kids, I'm, I'm saying it out loud. I did it. Wow. I mean, honestly, I can't really process it right now. Like, I've had my fair share of putting in Egypt. I've had it. I... I never fit in in any community in Egypt. 
right? I was never, I was short to begin with. So the, the, I was dating you from everywhere and I was shy. I was emotional and to be uh, emotional as a male in uh, uh, during that time oh was God. kind of a crime. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yes. I just <laughs> violated like one of the sacred amendments, you know? So let's, uh, let's move on from this to something a bit lighter. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, it's not that light because it's somewhat similar. Uh, so the next question would have been me asking you about the mental and physical challenges that you went through when you were climbing the mountain. And you gave us a brief about the physical challenges that you went through in the beginning. So now tell us a bit more about the mental. And the reason that I say mental is just like I said earlier, and like I was just saying, I lived in Egypt. So for a girl, especially a hijabi, and only at 17, to go and tell people, her parents, her cousins, whatever, hey, I'm road climbing a mountain with a bunch of people that, that I barely know or just know them online. Bye, take care. How was it like for you? Uh, I guess this whole thing was way, way more mentally challenging than it is physically uh, and emotionally. Uh, I remember that time I was with my mom in the car and I received the message from Manal saying, oh, hey, uh, we're thinking of climbing Mount Everest Base Camp. It's like she's inviting you for coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me what you're going to do. Make sure that your parents are not, uh, like they agree on doing that. You're not, you're not, doing, the, not doing them behind their backs or something. And let me know. And then I was in the car, <laughs> I told her, and then she couldn't process, she was Everest mean. <laughs> she couldn't process it. Um, and then I was like, mom, she's been, my mom has been always supportive in things that she sees how I believe in it, especially surviving hijab. Uh, she knows like how Manel is so close to me and 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 how I take surviving hijab as something that is dominant in my life. And then she was like, okay, uh, let's see that later. Let's check. She thought we're just like messing up or just having some nice jokes or thinking about doing it, but that we're not going to actually do it. And then that was the first incident, but she had to compile it and she, did, she denied. I mean, you don't give it to her. It's a lot to process. Yeah, and then the second time when it was confirmed, the trip itself, I walked up to her and then I said, I have a twin brother, by the way. By the way. So I had all the family gathering around, sitting, and then I was like, I have something to say. And politely, I don't think you have an option to say no, but then <laughs> I am just like that. I'm going to climb Banda Base Camp for a cause and I believe in that cause and I think it's worth my life being risked for and uh, my mom my uh, also bearing in mind that that's the one main factor why she was freaking out my mom is a professor in physical education so she knows very well that probably my body's not gonna be able to cope up uh, so that's that's when she started to freak out when when I was like okay and then my brother my twin brother was sitting down he was very very supportive he was like oh my god you're, you're are you going to seriously do that 
what do you need? Let's go practice. Let's go to the gym. Uh, yalla, go climb the stairs. He was very supportive. Um, uh, my mom had a lot of process. I, I kept laughing because she was so shocked. And then when she started to process it down, she started to ask million questions, of course, uh, about the details and safety and stuff. And then she was like, you know what? You're going to go and I'm going to support you with all my heart. Because if you don't live up to something that you believe in for a good cause, then why are we here? So that's, that's was, that was very intense and very beautiful for me to witness. However, that was the first insight. When she actually thought, like when she actually saw me, oh my God, she's li literally going. Like it wasn't just a joke. She started to make, sometimes I would go sleep and then she would walk up my bed and then she said, she'd cry and say, oh, but I'm worried. What if something happened? What, what I'm going to do with my eldest daughter? But then at the very end of the day, it was, it was her natural uh, mom. Definitely emotion. as a mother, yeah. I mean, when your 17-year-old tells you they're going to travel or like sleep over at a friend's house, you're worried and thinking about everything you can go around. Yeah. Imagine uh, when you're like, oh, I'm going to go to climb this mountain. I'm not sure if you heard about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Like, uh, okay. She was like, okay. <laughs> like, do I have a say? I was like, no. <laughs> and then uh, that was for my mom. My dad, I remember, I asked him to take me out for a nice dinner. So then I can slowly and steadily <laughs> tell him she ha he had no clue um, about all this thing. And I was very worried because from the first place, my dad doesn't agree much of me wearing hijab. Uh, so when I tell him that I'm going to climb a mountain because I believe in a cause about something that he basically doesn't agree on uh i was like it's gonna be a total no but let's see how it goes because again i don't think there's a say in this i'm going to take like tell me what you want to me to do and then i'm going to do it but i'm going anyway i was like i had this hype and challenge so i told him and his only concern was my security obviously and Farida, do you know what's the temperature in there? Farida, do you blah, blah, blah. Farida, it's all the parental session I had to take. And then he didn't tell me anything. I didn't know if it's, it was a yes or no. He just gave me so many warnings. And he was, I think he was testing whether I'm, I'm going to back off or not. But obviously I did not. <laughs> And I that is the could have been just something in the heat of the moment in the moment, you know. But, yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay, he didn't say no. So I'm going to say take yes. it and I say yes. And I texted my dad, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm in it. It's okay, I'm safe, don't worry. And uh next time he was calling me, where are you? And then I was like, I'm practicing. And then what practice? And he was like, I'm in the gym climbing you know, some stairs. And so are you seriously going? And then I was like, Yeah. And then he said, oh, my God, then do you need gear? You need stuff to prepare. What do you want? And then he started to get so excited. Oh, my God, if you're doing that, we need to do something about it. <laughs> How you're, like, peacefully training in the gym without – did you forget that you have parents and you have got to have support with, from them? 
what do you want? Tell me. And then I cried me now on the type it down on the WhatsApp and tell me what you want. So uh, both of my parents were very supportive. My family was very supportive, but not any other person that I can remember supported or at least didn't say anything. No, they had to throw a comment that was very and completely irrelevant, whether to me or to my family. Like, I understand why would you think my parents are crazy. It's fine, because it is crazy. I didn't mind. But I didn't tell much of of people or our uh, relevance or anything. I was like, they'll just see you. If I did it, I'm going to upload the picture, say what did I do, when did I do it, and then that's it. Seeing me back home after I come back is better than mocking me before I go. Because obviously this affects me uh, mentally by way or another, even if I'm normalizing and I understand why are they saying so. So that was how uh, mentally it went beforehand. Uh, during the trip, I was hit by this altitude sickness. Uh, <laughs> altitude sickness symptoms are dizziness and headiness uh, at the same time. So you feel dizzy and at the same time you can't concentrate. Plus, you lose your appetite. So I was very mind blown and emotional to the fact that I couldn't know the difference between the Nutella and the pasta. We used to eat like a, a vegetable, uh, what do they call it? Vegetable um, momos. Vegetable momos, yes. I couldn't defer the difference between the vegetable momos and that small jar of Nutella. And I was very emotional about this fact. I was crying because I didn't know the difference. I thought, because I didn't understand what was going on. I was like, no, but I love chocolate. And I thought that eating chocolate throughout the, I had so, like, I had so many chocolates I bought with me before I traveled. So I was like, I would go panic, open my bag and get that bar of Milka and then I eat it, and then I couldn't taste anything, and then I sit down beside my bed and cry. I was very dramatic. And then, like, all of a sudden, I'd have this pain in my stomach. Severe pain that up until now, I swear to God, I could not describe it. It's not, it's not like something is going wrong, like, drink milk, you're going to stabilize the pH. No, it's not the pH that needs to be stabilized. It's just pain that... I cannot describe and I can barely talk because of the pain that I've had. And uh, what's funny, I was hit by the altitude sickness by the third day, okay? That third day, it was the first time I saw the poster. I had so many research on altitude sickness beforehand, but I saw this poster on my room written, altitude can kill you. And then all the, that's it. So I, I, I even took a picture of it. And I went down to the team. I was like, I saw this poster on my on my door. What do you think? Is it a sign? And then a few hours later, I was hit by, by this altitude, by, by the altitude sickness. And my oxygen level dropped 62 or 63, something like that. Uh, I was very, very sick. FYI, I have asthma. And you went to a place with no oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it was crazy. It was, it was, oh my God, what am I doing to myself? But then again, I would push myself through. And that night 
when they took my oxygen level percentage from my finger, I was I was not even conscious. Manal would walk in the door, ask me, what's your name? I'd tell her my nickname. And then she'd tell me, Farida, what's your first name? She'd say Farida and then ask me about my name. And then i tell her about my nickname. And then she says, okay, who am I? And I sit on the bed and tell her, you're my mom. And then she said, what's my name? Your name? Mothers don't have names. <laughs> you were high, high. Yeah, I was having that effect. <laughs> I mean, I'm no doctor, but that's an indicator that you're not at a well shape. <laughs> not at all. So then I remember that night they said, I heard them saying, tomorrow morning, if she doesn't feel well, if her oxygen is still dropping, and she's still feeling all the symptoms of the altitude sickness, uh, she has to descend. And, oh my God. A couple of hours later, after everyone went to bed, I woke up and I was a bit, I was feeling a bit okay. But then I had like, you know, my face was blown and the snow burnt my skin. Red cheeks, blown cheeks. Like my eyes were inside. You couldn't even see me. Uh, and I remember my parents called video call. You know, we had 3G mountains and no, no toilets. No bathrooms, but 3G was there. Priorities. Of course. <laughs> and then they said, open the camera. And I obviously knew how bad I looked, so I said no. So they started to fight. Are you okay? Is there anything wrong? You cannot say no. You promised that you're going to make sure that we are, we are well aware of your health. And I was like, no. And then said, everyone is here. You, has, you have to say hi. It's okay. Open the camera. And then I said, no. And then we started to have an argument. I switched off my phone. If any of my family members saw how I looked like, I have pictures of that. I posted them earlier, but it still don't have the cards to post them as an individual post. I only did on my Instagram stories. But anyway, um, I knew if they saw me like that, they're probably going to spend the rest of the days crying. And this is not definitely what, not what I want them to do. So I switched off my phone. I went up. I barely walked to the bathroom. Uh, uh, I was lucky that it was... Namshi Bazaar is like the famous place in Everest where you kind of have all the services, like Western Union. They have nurse nurses and they have schools in the mountain. It's such an alive mountain. They have Western Union. You have pubs. They have hair salons. They have restaurants. Hair salons. So you're going up a mountain and you want to get your hair done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else would you need? Exactly. And pubs, if you want to spend the night out. And uh, there, guys, I remember I kept reading my book. And then, luckily, just because this one place uh, that we, what I'm saying, it's called uh, Namshi Bazaar, we, I had access to bathrooms. Other than that, we did not. So I went inside, I washed my face, I was in severe severe pain like i didn't know where it is i didn't even have the physical awareness to know where am i feeling the pain okay and i went back to my room i st- i prayed while i was sitting on my bed and then i was like okay i spoke to myself just like that i remember very well and i said speaking to my body i know you're giving up i know you're tired I know you cannot bear, 
but I need to go and I cannot descend tomorrow. And I didn't come all the way through just to go back. So please keep up because my mind is telling me you have to do it and my body is giving up. So it was crazy. And then I took the pills, I drank some water and I prayed that I wouldn't throw up because I used to throw up all whatever that was going inside. Even the water, I used to throw up. So I prayed that I'd sleep and not to throw up the medicine. And I woke up the next morning. I'm only feeling the heaviness a bit. I drank water and then I went outside. I had breakfast. Everyone is like looking at me. Are you okay? Checking up. Manel came, took her breakfast, sat by my side. Hey, how are you? How are you feeling? It's like, I'm okay. Farida, you cannot lie. There's no option. If you feel like you're not okay, if there's any pain, please tell me. There's no joke in this. And then I said, no, I feel okay. So then they started to test my oxygen. It was way, way better. And then when I was going through the trekking and I kept like having some reflection with myself, this is the power of your mind. This is the power of how your mind can actually take control over your decisions or your physical ability if you want to. So I made sure or I was assured that no matter what hardships I'm going to face in my life after this trip, I know that I'd be able to change it if I want to. And obstacles cannot come all the way, even if you think it's out of your hands. Because I thought my body, it's out of my hands. Nothing I can do about it. But then when I sat with myself and I said, no, you have to do it. Please keep up. And then I prayed and, and I spoke to myself positively because usually every day I'd say, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to continue at least the next 24 hours of, of trekking or hiking. Oh my God. Oh, I finished today, but I don't think I'm going to be able to continue for tomorrow. This is how negatively I used to speak to myself. That one night when I spoke to myself positively and my mind took over myself and and my my soul I don't, I don't know how to express this but uh, I remember looking in the window seeing the mountains and staring and doing some stargazing in the middle of the night and praying and it was very very powerful I was very emotional like oh my god it's that one night when I only spoke to myself positively I was able to continue the rest of the day with so much power and energy other than the other days. So uh, besides the fact that I got, I broke down two days or three days later uh, again, but uh, like I learned three days later, like every day was a life-changing experience. Whether I'm experiencing it with myself and my mind and my emotions and stuff, or I'm witnessing with the other climbers and hearing their stories or listening to what they they are also going through or someone saying a comment, a positive comment or someone supporting you. And uh, sometimes I would break down on the mountain in the middle of the trail, sit down and cry and say, I'm not going to be able to do it. I can't. And one of the climbers would come up to me, put her hand on my shoulder and say, Farida, you're going to make this even if I'm going to carry on my back. So... 
it's this it was very intense and that's why whenever someone asks me on what level was this challenging it's definitely the mental challenge more than it is than the physical challenge so farida lastly what does the future hold for you is there another summit in mind or where do you think life would take you in the next couple of years wow um Actually, I was planning uh, or thinking about climbing the the highest uh, mountain in Southeast uh, Asia. It's in Malaysia, luckily. But then, of course, the corona hit. Or I didn't have that much. I didn't take it into call to action. I was just thinking about it. So I think, I think when I go back, when things are all right again, uh, I might want to do that. And, uh, wow, I'm so focused now on my studies and what I'm passionate on doing, whether it's uh, what is related to communications and PR and stuff. So I'm very consistent into making sure that I'm doing what I love and I'm striving to achieve it. Alongside, this is what I say again, it's dominant in my life. Uh, I'd love to continue doing more uh whether it's adventurous or not, but I usually like to do the adventurous stuff with uh, surviving hijab again, to do something else, to raise awareness again and keep doing that. I wouldn't mind to keep doing that for the rest of my life. It's a cause that I believe in and I believe this is why we're here. We are here to leave impact, even if it's only into one single person's life. So, um, I'm so consistent, whether it's in my academics, my passion towards communications and PR, or my hobby as an adventurer or a mountaineer or a runner, and definitely sticking to surviving hijab. Like, I, I've, I've always thought this is going, I'm going to be there as long as it's there, and I'm going to support it with all my heart. So, um, yeah. Well, Farida, on that note, once again, thank you so much for coming and thank you for your time. You really have no idea how much of a pleasure it was for me to have you on. And I wish you all the best in the future with your studies, your academics, and with your future summits. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for having me in Up Next Up podcast. Uh, did enjoy like uh, joining in. Uh, it was my pleasure. Once again, thank you for tuning in and I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at TheAli or follow the podcast so you can know when the next episode is out.